There we go. Are uh, we rolling? Yeah, we're... In the words <laughs> of Limp Bizkit. <laughs> <laughs> rolling. All right, partner. Keep on rolling. Isn't that what he says? He goes, rolling, rolling, rolling. Have you seen The Fanatic yet? No. Me neither. No, not me. class. That's morning spelled with a U, so it's a pun. I'm Andy Sell, host and producer of this very podcast that you are listening to, Ghoul School, a horror history podcast on the Unpops Network. For today's extra dreaded assignment, we welcomed Dave and Miles of the Heat Seeking Panther podcast, which is a fearless dive through the entire filmography of one Nicolas Cage, and it's terrific. You should definitely listen to it. For some reason, they did not choose a Cage effort for us to discuss here. I'm assuming that they get enough of that on their own show. No, they presented me with Peter Jackson's 1992 notoriously gory cartoonish zombie splatterfest Dead Alive, aka Brain Dead. The B feature that I recommended to pair it with was Leif Yonkers' 1993 Wichita, Kansas regional horror, ooey gooey, almost as splattery, snapshot of the beginning of the vampire apocalypse, Darkness a.k.a. Darkness the Vampire version. And this conversation was recorded in 2019, so we got to watch the films together and have a really fun conversation about it, and I really enjoyed that time. And I missed that time, and I want it back, and I can't wait till I can watch movies with people again. But there was something about the films that stuck out to me. They are both very extremely white. And I think it bugged me in particular because the only significant portrayal of people of color in Peter Jackson's Dead Alive is in that highly problematic opening scene with the fictitious indigenous people of Skull Island in that homage to King Kong. And I think it bugged me because Jackson also then later went on in 2005 to remake King Kong and portray those characters in in equally as problematic a light. And of course, King Kong itself has that troubling, controversial, racist legacy. And I'm not trying to cancel Peter Jackson or slam Dead Alive or anything. I love Dead Alive. You're going to hear that much in the conversation. But just felt like it was something to maybe explore and talk about you know, the nature of othering in our genre and in culture at large. And of course, long story short, it just kind of became too much. I went down a lot of rabbit holes, a lot of important contextual connections to make. And yeah, it just became too big a thing to put in here. And I also, I didn't want to make light of the gravity of that subject matter. It really kind of needs to stand on its own. And at some point in the future, I do want to do something with this information and present it way in an episode of this show, and I totally welcome being held accountable to that. Not that anyone should have to be responsible for me or stand over my shoulder and make sure I'm doing my homework, but I'm I'm open to it. I do want to do it.
it. Just not now and not in this episode. So that's not part of the lesson plan. What I do want to do, however, today, in the meantime, is recommend a third feature to go with these two movies. And look, both of these movies are kind of notoriously hard to track down now. As far as I know, neither of them are streaming anywhere. Dead Alive was given a Blu-ray release a while back and has since gone out of print. Darkness was put out on DVD in 2006. I believe that's now out of print. And Arrow Video keeps hinting at a Blu-ray release of it, but hasn't officially announced a date or anything yet. So if you can track them down, go ahead and watch this movie with them. And if you can't track them down, just watch this movie instead. And this movie is 2019's Blood Quantum, currently streaming on Shudder, which is, you know, a great streaming service. If you don't have it, you should have it. It's cheap, it's terrific, there's my plug. Blood Quantum is, to my mind, one of the more interesting and significant zombie movies of the last, I don't know how long have we had this zombie craze that doesn't ever feel like it's going to die. It kind of goes away and then comes back and then sort of dies down again and then comes back and it's just, there's so many, but this is one of the better ones, in in my opinion. It's from writer, director, editor, and composer Jeff Barnaby and is a Canadian production. It takes place on the fictional Red Crow Micmac Reservation. It is a zombie film as allegory for colonialism, racism, racial identity, displacement. In addition, to all the other stuff that zombie movies are automatically allegories for. It gives us a whole lot more to think about. And it pairs well with Dead Alive because obviously it's a zombie movie, but it also has a sometimes juvenile penchant for edgier, gross-out humor. And another interesting way that it pairs well with Dead Alive is that, like Dead Alive, it's a period piece. Now, if you want to feel old, I sure know I do, keep in mind that Dead Alive takes place in 1957. Blood Quantum, which was made in 2019, takes place in 1981, a year after I was born, and that gap between diegetic period and production release date is wider. So that's fun. It also pairs well with Darkness because it's a very specific ground level view of an apocalypse scenario in like one community, but with ambitions to address the implications beyond this picture. And like both films, it has great gore gags and is full of splatter and is definitely invested in the humanity of its characters. And I just think it's terrific. It certainly has more panache and obviously more production resources than Darkness, but it's also just very scrappy, like both films. And it does some interesting things with elliptical editing and what it chooses to show you versus what it chooses to not show you. Sometimes it's clearly in a way that, like, well, budget, you know, we didn't have the money to do that. But other times it really feels like a story economy or even character-driven issue. I've seen it twice now. I'm definitely going to watch it again before long. It's shot well, it's moody, it manages to take some pretty well-worn beats and tropes and archetypes and even tired elements and really flesh them out and make them fresh again. It's bloody, it's brutal, and it's deliberate. And just thinking about it right now makes me excited. I want to go check out Barnaby's previous feature, 2013's Rhymes for Young Ghouls. So yeah, Blood Quantum. Check it out on Shudder. I think it really fits well with these two movies. And now I think I've talked enough here, so let's open this time capsule containing a conversation with Miles and Dave from Heat Seeking Panther about the blood on a budget of Dead Alive and Darkness. Oh, hi. 
Hi, we're here. We're there's three of us yeah. here. We're here. Yeah. Are you here? Who are you? Uh, this is Miles. Dave. I'm Dave. And Dave. Miles and Dave. Yeah, we have the the world's foremost podcast on Nicolas Cage's filmography. Yes, called Heat Seeking Panther. Uh, rate and review us. In the <laughs> <laughs> let let them know who you are. <laughs> you should listen to it. It's a good show. I was on the Wicker Man episode. Yeah, we watched both of them. That episode, Andy, is consistently in the top three episodes like, Stop. Uh, of popularity. I'm not kidding. Like, really? It'll, it'll, it fluctuates oh. a little bit, but it's always been like at, like one of the top three spots since it's since it happened. Yeah, you're making those. Who are the other two? Uh, I want I, names. Well, weirdly enough... <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to get all the. We'll have to get the guests from all the top episodes on one episode together sometime, and then we'll just break all the ratings that way. We'll do it for his last movie ever yeah. when he when he says he's retiring <laughs> and he puts out the last one. All of our former guests will come and we'll watch it together. I It'll like, be like I the like Andy Kaufman thing. Well, all of milk and cookies will be good. Uh, oh man, I love milk. I love cookies. I love Cage. I love Cage, and I nope. love Splatter, and that's today's deal. I don't think I've seen so much blood in a couple hour period ever. Yeah. And they're both relatively short movies. Yeah. One's 84 minutes, the other's 97. And that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of fucking blood. Blood on a budget. Yeah, it is blood. Hey, blood on a budget. That's a good episode title. It's a really good episode title. Yeah, you're I might call it that. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking about blood on a budget today. The film that Miles and Dave chose was the 1992 New Zealand splatter classic, Brain Dead, a.k.a. Dead Alive. And before we get too far into the film itself, what, what's your history? What's y'all's, what's y'all's history with this movie? Where do you put Dead Alive in your life, Miles? I really like this movie a lot. I saw it for the first time, I was maybe like 19 or 20, and it had been pitched to me by the friend who had to show it to me that it was the like bloodiest movie of all time, like in the sense that it had used the yeah. most fake blood of, of any movie ever, which was great. And the version that I saw the first time was this version that we watched today. The, the unrated. The, the unrated yeah. version. Every other time I've seen it since then, I think has been the R-rated version. And so it's very different. It, it is really different. It doesn't seem like... At, at first, it seems like just a, a couple cutaways or like different shots are trimmed, but... In the end, the cumulative effect, it seems like it's missing a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I, I don't think I've ever seen the unrated version, which is exciting. Like, because I, I also saw this in high school and was like, I just remember feeling really powerfully like, I was like, this is what I want. This is what I want <laughs> yeah. from the all these movies that I've been like groping around in that. You know, I was like, definitely like trying to find the most fucked up most like edgelord movies that i could like i wanted all the most fucked up shit that's just kind of how it is when you're a a young man in in america were you in the suburbs Uh, yeah yeah totally yeah Yeah, i was in i was in beaverton (laughs) oregon so i like you know i i would go to movie madness and uh, Portland, which is a great movie store, and they just had they had a I think a section that just had question marks as they like <laughs> and, you know just rents things blindly. And I totally this movie was sort of lumped in my head as one of it's just like a really extreme movie. And only like watching it again in college, I was like, oh, it's a cartoon. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's a what, cartoon. What yeah. I was really responding to more than anything else was that it's basically a Looney Tunes cartoon with yeah. blood. Yeah, and and so I've I've always liked it, but I don't think I've ever seen the unrated wow uh, and uh, yeah holy shit yeah it's uh there have been so many different cuts 
<laughs> yes. of this movie that like if you go to IMDb and look at the runtime, there's like seven or eight different runtimes for it because so many different authorities have forced different cuts to this film. Yeah, like I don't I don't know what I saw before, but it's like the tone is the same. Like mm-hmm. you still get all the charm and the story of it, but the like back third of the movie which is just like a splatter fest is like i feel like I, there's got to be like six even, minutes yeah, missing. exactly yeah. like it, it's like no time at all before he shows up with the lawnmower yeah and watching it this time i forgot that he even did the lawnmower thing like, yeah. <laughs> even though it's the, the most iconic moment yeah. of the film i was just it's just like beat after beat after beat of people just like getting mauled in awesome ways yeah. This is definitely one of those movies I think I had a similar relationship with it where, you know, I was a horror kid always since I was little. And then I think it was high school I saw this. I think I was maybe freshman or sophomore year of high school when I finally saw this one. And it was one of those, like, the doors got blown off for me, you know? And it was just like, this is the movie. And I started being that guy that would go to everybody's house and be like, I brought this fucking movie, you guys. (laughs) You think you know horror. Just baptizing your friends. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and it really felt felt like that when I saw it. And I think that that is the thing that this movie, that works in the movie's favor is no matter how much someone hypes it up to you, there are whole other aspects of it that really come at you and kind of surprise you. I think a lot of the performances are really good They're for, spot on. for how yeah. ridiculous the movie is. Like, Well, every cinematic technique in it, every metric for filmmaking The editing is just unreal. Is on fucking yeah. point the entire film. Like every single metric. It's well directed. It's shot amazingly. The editing is super tight. The writing is great. The performances are good. The effects are wonderful. Like, Mm -hmm. it just is a very, like, this is a movie. This is a movie made by people who know what they're doing. Yeah. 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 And it's easy to write it off as just like, oh, yeah, it's the goriest movie ever made. Like, when you're 15, like, it's silly. It's a fucking, it's a splatter fest. And it is. It's also an example of exceptional filmmaking. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's really good. Like, it's not a leap for me to see Peter Jackson's like later stuff in relation to this. Mm -hmm. Cause even when he was doing stuff like this, that has the most absurd subject matter, it's still like you were saying, it's like a masterclass in like how to make a, not just a good movie, but a watchable entertaining. movie. Yeah. I mean, he, he came out almost fully formed with bad taste and that's a, a movie shot on just a shoestring budget. If you wanted to write that off, that and Meet the Feebles, which is, I mean, I could talk for hours about Meet the Feebles. <laughs> I saw all three of those movies around the same time, and they all blew my mind in different ways. I, I feel like that's another thing. Like Carpenter and Romero and Cronenberg and a lot of these other guys that are considered the greats of the genre, Jackson is one of those guys that when you first see a Peter Jackson movie, you immediately are like, I got to see the rest Holy of him. Shit. I got to see everything yeah. else he's done. But it's because he's so masterful, and this movie is definitely, you know... It's firing on all cylinders mm-hmm. and it knows it. Mm-hmm. It's not, but it's not like smug and like self-satisfied at all. It's, it's just joyous. Anything that they can imagine, anything that he and, uh, who's, uh, the effects guy, uh, Richard, oh, Richard Taylor, Taylor, yeah, like anything that they can imagine they're doing, you can see them just pulling so mm-hmm. many ideas. I mean, it's just an embarrassment of riches. Honestly, <laughs> It's like it, they're, they, I don't, and I don't know how to separate really like in my notes. I was like calling them gags. Cause like each kill or each moment yeah. it has the same beats as like a comedy gag. It's like a half of a severed head that's still alive falling into like a food processor and getting spun around <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. it like flies out and hits somebody in the dick or something. It's yeah. like, it's just these multi-level sort of Buster Keaton yeah, type it's just, gags. It, exactly. 
exactly. It's just everything to keep the gag alive. And there was a lot of that going on in exploitation film. You know, New, New Zealand didn't really have much of a film industry at the time this movie was made. Sorry, when did this come out? Like ninety one. So it was it was ninety three. I think is when it eventually had its premiere. It's credited as a ninety two film. He started working on it in God. He started working on it before Meet the Feebles actually, because this was supposed to be his follow up to Bad Taste. Mm. But he, and this is actually something this has in common with the other film we'll be discussing today. He started production on this movie, on on Brain Dead. Got, I think, six days or something in, and it wasn't going to happen. Like, didn't have the money, the whole thing fell apart, and he walked away from it, and they were like, okay, well, we got to do something else. And then they did Meet the Feebles. (laughs) And then they came back to Dead Alive. (laughs) We got to, let's do something safe. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's crazy. His, I mean, the way you say he came out fully formed, too, is his trajectory was nuts at this point, because (laughs) it took him four years to make Bad Taste. Oh, really? I didn't realize it was that long. He dropped out of high school, started working a job at a newspaper so that he could make enough money to buy a 16 millimeter camera, and then he bought a 16 millimeter camera and he started making bad taste just had the drive yeah it was it was started as a short that he was going to just make to teach himself how to use the equipment and four years later has a feature film from that short i mean it's basically four years of film school it just that he just did himself that rules yeah and then bad taste made all kinds of money and he got to do other stuff but like brain dead it just it, the production at the time he wanted to do it initially didn't work out Meet the Feebles, and then this, and then I think we talked about this before. But Heavenly Creatures, just like what yeah. a what a jump. Yeah, and and it's fantastic. I mean, similar to how assured this movie is, Heavenly Creatures is assured in a even more like complex. Like he's dealing with something harder and mm-hmm. it, emotionally, and he just does it so well and so stylistically. And I don't know, like it's the like self assuredness mixed with the just ambition. Yeah, that I feel like really marks his early career for me, and which is maybe why they gave him Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but. well, yeah, it would have to be somebody with a lot of confidence and maybe a little too much ambition yeah. to yeah. do something like that. And, and also, no stranger to like a lot of moving parts, and yeah. also mm-hmm. the, the just like. At a base level, the makeup and the effects work. Yeah. That's yeah. like, you know, that's like all Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Is. And he obviously had proved that not just yeah. with this, but with other, the Frighteners. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. Frighteners like, too yeah. is like a huge thing where it's like, if that movie had not happened, we would not have Lord of the Rings. Like right. every, everything that was developed, that was used in Lord of the Rings was developed for the Frighteners. And it's just, yeah. Which is wild because that movie just bombed yeah it really no didn't do well it. i actually haven't seen it in a really long time Same. i saw it i think three times in the theater when oh, it came okay. out i loved it so much but it's it's funny like just that peter jackson i think like fully inhabits a different cultural space now than mm-hmm. like watching this i i'm reminded of who i thought peter jackson was yeah in, in the 90s yeah and you know lord of the ring like i won't say anything bad about lord of the rings like it's you know stunning piece of filmmaking like he pulled it off and it's like it's amazing that he did but it's like i would not have been sad if he had stayed edgy basically like yeah the the boundaries that he's pushing after that are feel purely like the ambition is almost too grand and (laughs) and it's all sort of like effects based and in the same way that like cgi just broke a lot of brains of you know filmmakers are just like anything is possible yeah i mean uh, like george lucas perfect example yeah yeah it's like you gotta you need that ambition but you also kind of need to limit resources maybe or any of like you you know it's just like really changed all of these guys yeah 
I just would not have been. Had, have you guys seen the special edition of Taxi Driver? <laughs> Where uh, Greedo shirts. Yeah, shirts right. <laughs> I wish, I, just looking at how amazing the practical effects were in this movie and the the way that this pushes envelopes in such a like beautiful, artful way. Mm-hmm. I just wish he had stayed in this space. Yeah. Well, it's also a very classic film yeah. in a lot of ways. Like it's okay. Yeah. They use 300 liters of blood or whatever for the lawnmower scene. And there's a, a puppet made of a person's guts and there's, <laughs> and there's a zombie baby and there's a zombie baby that looks like the baby from Roger. Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it, does, it literally does. looks like a cartoon baby, but, but no, but like to, to what you're saying, it is, it's classic. It's a, classic film yeah like it's the script the story beats even the whole like romantic mm -hmm. storyline yeah you know it's a very it's a very tight yeah he's using the language both in the the physical comedy and the stunts and the editing and just everything he's using the language of classic comedy and cartoons Mm -hmm. which is probably why all of us as teenagers saw it and like responded so strongly because it's like I know this language. I recognize this visual language and what's what's being done, and he's doing it well. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's gross. So fucking gross. <laughs> it's gross in ways yeah. that are yeah. still like. I mean, we fucked up because we ordered a pizza to watch it, <laughs> and, and we were eating the pizza at definitely the worst time in yeah. the movie. Yeah, the there, one time that there's an actual like meal that gets grossed that, out. Yeah, like, where is when pu- we're eating the like pizza. Dollops of pus and yeah. blood just land in. What, it's like custard, pudding, custard, yeah. and a man is just like noisily eating it. <laughs> yeah, it's a gross. But that's a very good point. That like it's a it's a classic film language that we recognize. It's formal. Yep. You know, and we get it. And it's done so seamlessly that it doesn't feel smug, but it also like doesn't it because it doesn't even need to call attention to the fact that it's doing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just in the in the opening, not the opening. Se- well, yeah, we'll count the opening sequence too. In the in the first. I don't know seven minutes of the movie ten minutes maybe you've got references to King Kong Indiana Jones the Wolfman the Cat People Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd Psycho and these are and they're not like wink wink ha ha references they're baked in yeah and they're baked in seamlessly spell spell some of those out because like King Kong it's, they're on Skull Island. Like, yeah, they're I, on I Skull that. Island, and there's and there's uh, problematic representation <laughs> of of native peoples. Right, right, like Psycho is pretty clear. Psycho's pretty clear. Um, yeah. Well, what else? Like, well, oh, so the, there's the, Indiana the trolley jo- thing is like a Buster Keaton. Yeah, the, yeah, the way he gets on the tr- on the trolley, that's like pure Keaton Lloyd right. territory. Cat people is them at the zoo having right. their little date right. at the zoo. Right. Yeah. Indiana Jones is yeah definitely it's it's the tied in with yeah, the King Kong thing. thing. And there's even like a, a little shop of horrors type yeah. vibe going on later where he's trying to keep this secret a secret like, but is yeah but, and it's a period piece too which and you it's a period out, piece yeah I, it's 1957 totally is when this movie yeah. takes place and it's funny because it doesn't need to be no but it, it doesn't but he it did def- two period pieces back to back this and heavenly creatures yeah he both, did. both 50s period pieces interesting right that's something i almost entirely forgot between the last time i saw this and this time was that it was yeah. a period piece yeah I think it, I always forget that. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't actually matter. You didn't have to do that. Right. But it's wonderful. I also just automatically assume that New Zealand is always in the nineteen fifties. It just is yeah. the nineteen fifties. Yeah. yeah, that's something I wonder how much we like. No, but like the, there's <laughs> Put an echo a on certain that. sense of remove, I think, that putting it in the fifties gives it in the sense that this was a time before pop culture on the whole had a preconceived idea based on basically Romero's movies about what a zombie mm-hmm. invasion would be. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? So, like, there's this weird... There is actually one instance in the movie where the bikers are, like, like getting beat greasers. up in the... Or, yeah, the greasers are getting, <laughs> oh, uh, in the like... cemetery, In yeah. the cemetery, and when his mom comes out from the grave, that one greaser does go, there's a zombie, or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he straight actually, up says that zombie. That's, like, the one time he actually says zombie. But I think, in general, like... There's no sense in the movie of like anyone being tainted with an idea of what an actual undead apocalypse would be, like based on right. like pop culture. Yeah, that's true. You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. right now, if the zombies happen right now, I guarantee all of us would know exactly what to do because mm-hmm. we've seen it mm-hmm. so many times. But I think it also a part of that, and this is another strength that the movie has in general, is that it rests that perspective on its protagonist, Lionel. It's funny. This is one of those rare instances where you see a character accept the reality of whatever this supernatural situation. He accepts that reality pretty quickly without there being a whole lot of meta commentary on right. it. Right. All these people are turning into zombies. I don't know. I can't kill them, so I guess I'll just keep them in my basement. Yeah, and instead of involving the authorities to you know, expand the consequences of this world, it's kept in his world, but it's also believable because he's such a sweet but also kind of downtrodden yeah, guy doesn't have any friends, that his really. first thought is going to be, what do I do to take care of this that doesn't yeah, make right. things worse? And and that's where the whole, like, the whole mother complex thing comes in is that that is the impetus for him trying to keep her alive i think yeah Yeah. right is because it's like you know if it was just any you know she's his best friend yeah right yeah by the way this is a splatter zombie comedy that also has a a story about codependency (laughs) and trauma yeah and disassociation right and ends with a fucking birth in return yeah Yeah. return birth in reverse immediately after an important, not actually not even important plot reveal that serves character, not story. Right. Which is nobody does that. Yeah. You don't have a fucking Hitchcock tier reveal <laughs> in the third act of your movie that's not about that. No, yeah, it's just like, yeah. It forces him out Lionel out of the grasps of his mother and but he still has to have that reckoning. Uh, yeah, yeah. He has to go back to the person. womb. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot you can be... It's also a movie that kind of has this central theme of lies beget more lies. Just the idea of when you lie once to cover something, like then all these other lies right. come in. And, right, but in this right. case, they're not lies, like they're zombies. like classic farce you know? yeah. stuff. Yeah, and that's the other yeah. thing. It's It's got farce and screwball yeah. right. all totally. over it. So the point where in one scene, there is a radio yeah. comedy playing to add to not just underline but add to the farce that's happening right us. yeah yeah she hears him fighting zombies in the other room but the radio comedy is synced up with what's happening yeah so there's so, like a commentary there's like a, a vase shattering sound right. masking a vase shattering sound <laughs> let me get you the jug and he yeah. hits the zombie with a jug it's great i think the way that it gets away with dealing with all this heaviness and and touching on it well but still having it never feel like anything less than fun is that even the world without the zombies is sort of shown as like extreme and cartoonish mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. I mean there's the scene where he goes to visit the Nazi oh yeah wow yeah the just Nazi like vet ruling you know again like there's no reason to do that except that it's just like a funny thing that they thought would be fun yeah it's and, more cartoon I mean like in the funeral home too they're they're pumping the body full of uh, yeah. formaldehyde yeah. and the machine is like backed up or whatever and it's just like you know the corpse is like exploding with it like, and again it's just it communicates that this yeah. world even without the zombies just is this sort of gross cartoonish chaotic place the kung with, fu priest the kung yeah. fu priest and, and yeah. so it makes sense to like that it's elevated enough above reality that 
that all of that stuff registers as fun still. Yeah. And it, it's cool. The sensor board even, the rumor has it that the sensor board initially were going to give it a, a 15 certificate instead of an 18 because the violence was so cartoonish yeah, that their, it, their attitude was like, there's kids. no way anyone thinks this is real. Yeah. And then like, they were like, oh, we ha- we will yeah, look well. like we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. We'll look like we're a body that actually serves no purpose. Yeah, some kid will see uh, the lawnmower scene and then lawnmower his school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but mom, <laughs> the movies told me it was okay. <laughs> yeah, it's another thing I caught this time that I, I don't know if I ever really isolated as something before was that the supernatural item he's given by um, mm-hmm. his girlfriend who's Spanish because she speaks Spanish in it. Right. Uh, yeah, I think she's pretty her definitively... Her Right, I think she's pretty definitively Spanish but the weird thing is is that her grandmother she's kind of like she's she, got she's speaking with like a russian accent yeah though, right? and the, they're doing the roma thing the, yeah. like the, the and that's the wolfman reference in there too right. oh the, right got the fortune okay. teller right, right. doing the like dark forces sure. thing and then her dad who's i don't know what he's eating don't, <laughs> again it's totally gross it's just, but, it's like, needlessly just gross kind of... yeah but he's <laughs> in like the stained undershirt yeah. just classic just yelling from the end of the table yeah there's but the supernatural item he gets from her the medallion the amulet is validated as a real thing in one scene when it moves on its own oh yeah and it's doing that to point to the trunk where his father's corpse is right, right, right. to give us that reveal so right. the only time that a supernatural macguffin is put into place as a significant object and validated is for character reasons. Again, like mm. it's not, it's like yeah. usually the reverse order. Right. Um, and like, oh, he does it, use it to cut out of that stomach though. Yeah, but at that, that point it's just using the physical properties, right? right? right. Like it's yeah. a sharp, unless it's a magic, I don't know. Nah, who knows? Doesn't, doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, th- and that's the thing. And, and it's amazing for me for how much is in this movie that it doesn't feel overstuffed or bloated. No, no, it and doesn't. And that I think is what is like one of the really impressive things about it is that, for example, that reveal that doesn't, really have to happen nor does it boost the actual like furthering of the plot at Mm -hmm. all is really like well placed well timed and it does actually like reveal something about the character that makes that last confrontation Mm -hmm. on the roof possible like possible and to actually have some kind of bigger significance than it would otherwise yeah yeah for sure you know and like i think in a lot of movies like that it would be like why do we need to deal with yeah i think it might be one of those things where if everything else wasn't handled so well and if it wasn't handled so well at all because there's definitely movies where i've seen a reveal like that late in the third act and it's like we don't fucking need this what is this here for but in this movie i don't know it's just so tight and it's the what I'm amazed with the most over I mean the special effects alone are amazing it's all very very good but the way he handles and sustains the pace and the tone mm-hmm. I think both of those are just incredibly hard things to do like the tone never never wavers and it's a hard tone to mm-hmm. pull off it's hard to have a movie with all of these I mean there's attempted rape there's like some yeah. ugly shit that happens but it never feels like he is handling something he doesn't know how to handle because the farce and the gore like he just amplifies each of those steadily he mm-hmm. amplifies the comedy and the gore like just get ratcheted up with each uh, yeah, set yeah, piece, yeah. really. It's always, even when it starts off at a baseline, it's always played 
sincerely and even when it goes to a crescendo it's played sincerely like that's the thing but everybody's moving like the pace of the everyone's caught up almost in the editing of the movie where it's just like a roller coaster yeah you're you're riding with it you're not like you're definitely not outside the car when you're watching yeah and the characters feel that too like Mm -hmm. they're during the last act which is just the party scene that turns into a literal (laughs) literal bloodbath yeah everybody's just like down they're just like they're riding the roller coaster at that Mm -hmm. point yeah And there's just a lot of stuff that too that rides that razor's edge of for the balance of the tone because there's like the scene we were talking about the gross out scene with the dinner where his mother at this point now this could be all right a stretch. I'm it's sort of there's a mental illness component to what you're watching where it's like you're watching this old woman who's li- whose brain is literally deteriorating because of this zombie virus she's been infected with you're watching her her capacity for speech and her functions like completely right. disintegrate yeah. and it's sad yeah it's also funny but it's really funny right. yeah <laughs> it's, yeah and it's one of those things where it's like right on that edge of like yep. if this was handled differently it, i would feel could, real it, gross about well, this. it never feels mean you know yeah, never yeah. feels angry for all of the weird freudian shit in it it never feels like bitter yeah. or angry or yeah there's mean. a lot of weird it, it's problematic joyous, shit it's that a it joyous still doesn't movie, feel mean yeah, with. Well, yeah and that's the thing is is like no matter what is happening on screen you're right dave the vibe that it gives off it's just so much fun. They're fun. They're the movie having is just so much, so fun. much yeah. fun. You can tell they're having fun. It's infectious. Basically, what I'm saying is like I think the humor in this, the subject matter, not appropriate, but the humor definitely, I think, could literally work for any age, for anyone, yeah. anywhere. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and even the desire to like just keep topping itself with uh, like gross out gags, you know, it feels like the, in a way that's almost puerile but it's re- it's really just classic because it's like all kids love that like, yeah i mean yeah. this this movie is a certain kind of thing which is like let me show you a trick movie it's like somebody you go into a room and there's a man there's peter jackson and he's like he's like you want to see a trick and he does a, a tr- and he and he just does a trick and you go oh holy shit and it just does that the whole time he's like what about this one <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. that's the whole thing yeah Dude, honestly is- i want i want to see peter jackson at the magic castle now <laughs> he, he probably has a membership to be honest. i'm sure he does come he, on he and Guillermo del Toro probably For go sure. there and get drunk. Yeah, <laughs> that's I want. I want to talk to them there. You know, I want to. I want to hang out with them. I yeah. I think that it's important. The joyous thing is really what's important because also it's a movie that wears its references on its sleeves and it's. Jo- I mean, there's a Harryhausen poster up. There's right. a stop motion rat monkey monster. I, I love that. Thing. I, I love it so yeah. much too. So it's. I love how shitty it is. I mean, not even. I shouldn't, shouldn't say shitty, but it's just like. It just clearly is what it is. It clearly is a stop motion tribute to Harryhausen. And it's still because, I mean, this is, everyone knows this rant. I don't need to go into it. But it's (laughs) like you're seeing a physical object do things with other physical things on the screen. And it plays. Like, I feel so much more about that weird animated rat thing than I do about a CGI monster. Absolutely. And it just, it doesn't matter how it looks. Yeah. Like, as far as, you know, whatever wrinkles you can see. Yeah. It's in the space. You believe it. Yeah. and, And this is something I noticed at the end where the the mother puppet at the end. Yeah, yeah. So there's this one shot. So the monster bursts out of the ground and then uh, Lionel and his girlfriend like run up the stairs away from it and there's this one cut that lasts maybe like a second or two of the monster walking up the stairs right. behind them. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember like having caught that. I don't know, maybe it wasn't in the other cuts or I just never paid attention to it, but I was so impressed with it this time because for that exact reason, I was looking at it going, that is a huge, huge. fucking yeah. puppet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just walking up those stairs. <laughs> like that is some really good effects. Yeah. yeah, Richard Taylor started as the puppet maker on Feebles. And there's like those giant, there's that boar, I think, in Meet the Feebles. That thing is so cool. And, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this is just the like next pokemon evolution of that. <laughs> yeah yeah because <laughs> and what's cool about that mother puppet too is he made like two or three because it's a certain size when it's going up the stairs but at the end it's enormous mm-hmm. it's huge mm-hmm. i don't even know how they did that it's i don't know either i i'm gonna use that to segue because one of the films that i thought about pairing this one with or that i could have paired it with is called the boneyard you ever seen the boneyard no, no. 91 is around the same time it's a much different i mean it's a movie that really does feel like three different movies stuffed into i mean it's like the first act is one movie the second act is a totally different movie the third act and it's not an anthology it's one story but it's just like it it has a spoilers for that movie you haven't seen it it ends with a giant pup zombie puppet monster and there's a part of me that was like well we'll just do old lady puppet monster movies (laughs) and then i thought "Eh." what's scary my mom (laughs) (laughs) oh man and she has a pet poodle that also turns into a giant monster puppet zombie thing I uh, want to see this yeah, movie. No, it's, a yeah, fanta- you, it's a fantastic movie. Me. It's a fantastic movie. And I could like very earnestly tell you why the first act of it is like great, great. But I won't because we're talking about the other movie that I recommended. <laughs> I also could have gone with Death Warmed Up because it's also a New Zealand splatter movie from around the same time. And I, I also want to point out that when you say that this movie, is the difference is that it's joyous. That is the difference to me between a splatter film and a gore film. I do mm. make it, I know a lot of people use those terms interchangeably. Right. I make a distinction. The splatter splatter movies fun. are fun. Yeah. Splatter movies are fun. I actually, I gore really like that cruel. distinction. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. And I think using that criteria, I like a lot less gore films than I like splatter same. films. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that a lot of things that bo- a lot of the things that bother me in those kind of movies is just tonally. Yeah. It's yeah. a fucking drag. Yeah. yeah. It's you a know? drag. Yeah. Well, uh, that's you go into the room and there's a, someone you know like a 25 year old Hesher in like a trench coat and he's like, Hey, you want to see a trick? And then he like squishes a, like a mouse, like a live mouse a in front of you. Yeah. It's like, like, oh, this trick yeah, sucks. It's like it's the exterminator that I used to have go to work to with at my movie theater, like yeah. who stepped on a rat. Yeah. He made a movie and, and was is, like, is that Yeah. A true story. Yeah. That's a true story. Ugh. He thought that was fun, and I did not. But that's the, yeah, it's exactly yeah. that difference between splatter films. Like, yes, it's sick to like, especially Dead Alive and the other film we're going to talk about, where you're watching the conclusion of something that started with someone going, I wonder what would happen if you yeah. put this item into this part of a body. Right. And then what could you do with that? What are the consequences of that? What are the, like... Or just like, wouldn't it be, like, how would we do that? Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be crazy to see? Versus like, wouldn't this fuck people up? Yeah, wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't yeah, people, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to make the sickest movie. You've ever, it's just yeah. like, nah. Yeah. I'll watch that shit in the hands of someone like Peter Jackson mm-hmm. or Leif Yonker all day. I don't need to watch August Underground. I'm exactly, good. exactly. Like Burning Moon or like the German sicko shit. Some of that, it's like, I don't need to see that. 
you should see Necromantic, though. I brought that up. Watching yeah. This. And it's like, in terms of a movie that I thought was going to just be a pure, like, gross out, but that actually has some layers and deals with, it wields a tone, the tone as a weapon, but it's like, cool. It's like somewhere between this and Michael Haneke. I haven't seen it in years and years, so, like, maybe my taste has changed. I don't know, but My I, friend John Michael is constantly recommending it to I, me. It's like, you think it's one thing, but it's, yeah. it's more complex. Yeah than the thing you think it he is. He makes the same argument that it's like there's something poignant in it. Yeah, and the soundtrack is great too. But well, uh, I like a good soundtrack. Oh man, it's like t- a Twin Peaks style, like blissed out, just weird uh, oh, I like that. synth new age kind of vibe, but with people <laughs> fucking dead bodies. <laughs> yeah. Anyway... Sorry. Yeah, no, I was trying to segue out of that. Well, I mean, in Dead Alive, the guy thought he was fucking dead body. The uncle, Les, thought he was right. fucking dead body. And the two right. dead bodies fuck each other and have a dead body baby. Yeah, they have a right. dead body baby. Leading to the best scene in the movie. The actor who played Uncle Les, by the way, as far as I know, the only actor, it's Ian Watkins, is I think the only actor who's in both Dead Alive and Death Warmed Up, which is recently got a release from Severn, and it's, it's, it is fucked up. It's very fucked up and has some very impressive gore effects. It is not nearly the movie Dead Alive is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't praise this movie high enough. I'm yeah. like, I, I'm so happy to have watched the uh, full version. I mean, you got, I was like laughing through the whole thing. Yeah, I had a yeah. great time. <laughs> yeah, we were having time. a great time. And I think that the film I ultimately chose to pair with this, I chose. I yeah. What was your What was your rationale? So my rationale for choosing the film I chose, by the way, was uh, Leaf Yonkers Darkness. Uh, the DVD we watched is labeled Leaf Yonkers Darkness, the, the vampire, vampire version. version. There's a whole history there. It's It was released in a one cut on VHS initially, and then was released uh, by more people in other markets and countries. And then when Leaf Yonker re-edited it for a DVD release in 2006, I think, he didn't want to call it director's cut or something like that he had to make an inside joke with it and it's called the vampire version because allegedly yeah so the song the band apostasy yes who did a large uh bit of the music for darkness the original version of the song that they recorded for the end credits got cut off because the song was longer than the credits. So they had to shorten it. Uh, what, because almost every credit was just Leaf Yonker? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just his name over and over again, really. Which is to say, you know, he's ambitious. Orson, he's Orson Welles of Wichita, Kansas. Something similar happened with the uh, movie Return of the Living Dead when it was released. The 45 Grave song that was used in it, Party Time, Party Time. was cut short. And they recorded an alternate version as a result. That was called Party Time, the zombie version. So when Apostasy did this song listing for the album they released, uh, they called it, uh, uh, whatever the song is, the, the vampire, vampire version. version. Oh, so wow. Leif Yonker is a, it's a two-generation removed inside joke <laughs> slash reference to a movie that's been fraught with uh, musical problems and its releases over and over again. Wow. Leif Yonker is a nerd. nerd, He's totally a nerd. He is a Viking nerd (laughs) from Wichita, Kansas, who made this movie in 1993. It's got a similar kind of thing going as Dead Alive in that Leif Yonker set out to make it in 89 after four days of production, shut it down, and then went back to it and finished, I think, all told in 93. Or maybe 91. It's hard to pin down an exact... It wasn't shown to anyone until 93. But people must have liked it because they kept releasing it. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, well, some people some kept releasing people. it. It was it was like one of those like underground tapes. It's like it, in the in the right. tradition of something like you know a J.R. Bookwalter's Dead Next Door uh-huh. or um, like Spider Baby or something like that. It's this like this lost thing. Yeah. Well, and I see why. Like my first response to it was just also joy, just because I was like, I mean, we're this movie is not nearly as self assured as Dead Alive. I, I mean, what movie is? Yeah, but, but it's, it's even, not even more ambitious somehow yeah I mean considering what he has at his disposal it really tries some stuff and does some stuff yeah like I mean I was laughing the hardest at the scene where the vampire flies at the guy in I mean, just yeah, he, was, he basically he wants a vampire to fly at someone and then someone to shoot the vampire that's in the air with a shotgun and then have the vampire fly away. But he has to do it because he can't actually make somebody fly. He just shoots around the vampire. So it yeah. looks fucking it looks insane. It's look, it's very awkward. There's a lot of stuff like that in this that like comes off feeling surreal. But yeah, exactly. Simply by the merit of him not having the resources he needed to make something happen. Right. But he's and saying, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. anyway. Right. <laughs> Right, and yeah. and he actually, I think, probably because he's such a nerd, you can see the references to other oh, filmmakers oh, yeah. in it in the way that he did things in a like non-realistic, mm-hmm. very stilted, weird style in order to get around certain production yeah. shortcomings. Yeah, I mean, that, that moment in particular with the vampire flying, you can see 100% that what happened was he saw Lost Boys <laughs> and the scene where the vampire was doing the point of view flying yeah. at somebody, he thought... Oh, oh man, what if that guy pulled out a shotgun and shot that vampire out of the air? <laughs> How fucking sick would that look? And he's right. It would look really sick. fucking sick. But we didn't if see you it. Could but see he it. doesn't have Joel Schumacher's budget. Right. Few people do, yeah. honestly. He doesn't have also, whatever it was. don't get started on Joel Schumacher. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's been a subject on our podcast too. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. He's so made a few I, movies with Cage, right? Two, at least, that we've yeah, done. Okay. Yeah. Trespass and one other one. <laughs> Just one of the worst. Cases. Anyway, let's, yeah, we um, won't um, get off on Yeah. That. Yeah. And there's some scenes that are like really, like I said, when we were watching it, like Leaf Yonker is an auteur. Like he, he is. He, he has, has a, a vision. point of view. Yeah. Yeah. He has a vision. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, he wears a lot of hats. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah, there's some scenes that are like really, they're composed really well mm-hmm. and, and shot pretty well, considering that it's like Super 8 and he has no lighting kit. Yeah, it yeah. Seems. Every, has, yeah. Everything is, which is, makes a lot of confusing scenes where people are like talking, trying to do things before sunrise, but it's like clearly shot at like midday. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just being like, well, whatever. If we say it's before sunrise, <laughs> yeah. we're establishing a diegetic reality for our audience so no matter what they see on the screen we've set it with the clock smart move honestly if you don't have any money i mean it's a device you know and even the little title cards that pop up yeah where it's like 12 yeah 12 minutes to sunrise or (laughs) whatever and then clearly it's like 8 30 a.m like the sun's been out for like hours you're just like but you just kind of go also kind of brilliant to put it in terms of how far away it is from sunrise or sunset because that's our wall. Yeah, that's you what the what characters mean? are thinking about. That's our reference point and that also implies a consequence and causality that creates an immediacy in this world that he's given us. Right, I mean, he doesn't, it's <laughs> like, a good idea. He doesn't really pull off no. the, uh, the follow-through, but it, it's you get why he did that, yeah. why he typed 
eight minutes before sunrise in the screenplay and he was like that's going to be a title and he's like it's going to be a title throughout the whole movie yeah, yeah. we're going <laughs> to do 30 clock. of these yeah. yeah so darkness developed he wrote, wrote originally wrote the screenplay when he was 17 it was called vampires and he tried producing it at one point it you know didn't work out then like a couple years later he tried producing it again and this time he what he did was he went around to well he bought equipment he worked a bunch of jobs and sold plasma and all this stuff so that he could oh, uh, buy a, a camera and decided to shoot optical sound. So it's on location sound. It's it's single system sound. <laughs> it's not, he does not have a Nagra or a DAT or a boom. It's the camera's mic. And he's capturing the wind. He's capturing fans. Uh, the fan. Yeah, what was that one scene? The fan They're is just sitting oscillating in the, room and the, the whole time on, and yeah. it's as loud as and the it's dialogue. Kind of, it's one of those things where it's like accidentally neorealist. Kind of works. Like, yeah, it's Dogma like, 95. Yeah, this is like, this is the Pooh trilogy territory here. Well, like, the weird thing is that a lot of it comes off as a documentary almost yeah. because right. of because of that quality. Yeah, and because it's shot on Super 8. Right, so and, it looks and like, because the teenagers... And because all of the kids look like they stepped out of heavy metal parking lot. Yeah. Like They do. It's amazing. Honestly, the acid wash ripped jeans yeah. and like the iron maiden t-shirts and yeah, the, the hard rock dallas shirt out of control yeah. in this movie yeah. yeah the cans of slice in the texaco station yes. that is clearly a texaco station yeah this movie you guys might relate to this but i've been watching a lot of degrassi recently can't relate i'm sorry <laughs> i'm a my so-called life guy uh, i mean obviously a better show but like <laughs> the one of the strengths of degrassi as a really unique bizarre property is that like they um they cast actual teenagers who are probably wearing what they actually wear and it's yeah. awkward it, it, but it feels real you yeah. fully believe the acting is terrible but you're like yeah I believe yeah. That that's a person I mean, and this movie has the same quality I believe that these characters are wearing that they shaved half of their head and are wearing an Iron Maiden shirt because they're from fucking Kansas and they yeah. they like listening to thrash metal like yeah. that this is the early 90s in Wichita Kansas and I, these are real kids these are real kids that's the other thing is that they're mostly teenagers like he yes. went he cast mostly high school kids I mean what's that kid's name Jody that Jody. character he looks like he's 16 yeah there are like 16 year olds actually there 16. are 15 year olds there are I think there's a 13 year old in the movie there's like playing one, a role in one of the many scenes where people are getting like chased by a bunch of I wanted to say zombies I mean they're vampires they're, but it's uh, a but definitely a zombie apocalypse. It's a zombie yeah. movie, basically. Yeah. And there's a girl who looks like she's like nine. And I, you're like, that's scary. Yeah. That's actually yeah. scary. Yeah. Because yeah. that's how it would that's be. what it would be. Is yeah. you would be chased by small children and old people. Yeah. And, and they'd yeah. be wearing like, like, they'd be wearing Bon Jovi shirts. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like they, the, all the children, all the old people, they're wearing Bon Jovi shirts and they're chasing you. Yeah. Yeah. You can never wake up. This is your new reality. Yeah. It would probably, you'd have to run by a car wash at yeah. some point because that's where the light is. Yeah. <laughs> in Wichita, Kansas yeah. at midnight. That's it's the true. other thing too is they would like steal all this kind of stuff. Like they did record shotgun sound effects so that they could edit in later so they weren't just shooting a bunch right. of shotguns. Uh -huh. Right, right. And they, even then there's like footage of him using his camcorder to record the audio. Again, not using actual sound equipment, but using a camcorder so he could record the sound effect so that he would have it recorded to edit into the film later. Right. And it's like him in the middle of a street somewhere 
with a camera on him and then somebody fires the shotgun and then they all run to their cars and drive off <laughs> before the cops would get there. God like, damn it, that's It's cool. shit like that that they're doing. And it's yeah. like, it's it's got a much more serious face on it than Dead Alive it's does. It's taking itself very seriously. It's taking itself very seriously. But Dead Alive took itself seriously too. Yeah, well that's, that's where... That's the thing is that even yeah. though Dead Alive is a cartoon, it doesn't do it with any kind of wink to the audience no. at all. No, Everyone it in doesn't the, need to. Like the movie is taking its ridiculousness very seriously. Yeah, it yeah. never seems above it all. Like, right. That's the thing that happened after Scream is that like for a horror movie to pay homage to other horror movies, people thought that it had to be too smart. Ironic. Ironic. Yeah. 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 I mean, honestly, that was the whole MTV. That was that whole fucking thing just made everyone ironic for like 20 years and that kind of sucked. Right. (laughs) The other movie that uh, Dead Alive reminded me of that would be a good pairing, although not unexpected of a movie maybe, is is Delicatessen. (laughs) Yeah, Delicatessen would be good, yeah. That's another one that I I fell in love with around the same time. Right, but also like very formally done and very like funny in a way that is not super self-satisfied, not ironic or sarcastic. It really, it's, it's just joyous. But the joy of filmmaking really does come through in darkness too. yeah like, you really get the idea that these folks love that they're doing this yeah and i mean he got so many teenagers to be in his yeah movie. oh god and there's a in the documentary which is his only other writing directing cinematography and editing and producing credit which i think are all the hats he wore on darkness yeah he did a documentary about it called darkness the yonker version no. <laughs> i can't remember anyway it's on the dvd there's footage of these interviews with these kids like uh-huh. their, their casting sessions the auditions it's so great because it's like this like 16 17 year old kids and he's like so are you you okay to like rip somebody up or whatever and they're and these kids are just like hell yeah i'll do it like i can't <laughs> wait they're all and like their interviews with them their audition tapes it's just like people these like sweet church girls being like i love horror movies yeah. i just always have loved horror movies and I just want to get bloody like stuff like that and it's like it comes through in the film like and as as shitty as the performances some of the performances might be which I think a few of them are lended more realism because of their shitty performances which we'll go to in in a little bit for all that it lacks in technique or whatever it has the same confidence yeah that Peter Jackson has in Dead Alive. Yeah, I agree. Like, it, it has fewer resources. Dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It has fewer resources. It or, has I'm sorry, fewer bad, bad taste. taste. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. And I do feel like I should have, order-wise, put Darkness first. Because Dead Alive is one of those movies that I, I used to watch it a lot. I haven't seen it in a while. But I always forget just how good it is. Yeah. Like, aside from the horror and genre appeal of it, it's a good movie. It seems impossible that it's as good as it is when, as it feels when you're watching it. Because my brain, just, it feels like the, the way that I feel about it and have felt about it after watching it every time, I guess this is like the third time in my life, is we're, I'm just like high on it. I'm like, that's so fun. Like, yeah, I want yeah, more. Yeah. And then you're like, it can't, it, it, it's kind of like a silly movie. Like, you, you I yeah. like talk it back down in my head, but. So uh, I I've forgotten that, which is why I think I chose for Darkness to go second, because I always have this weird, dumb thing with like, oh, you like that? Wait till you see this thing you've never seen. Yeah, you've never heard of. Because I'm that guy. So I just feel like I should have put Darkness before, because it also is kind of like Leif Yonker's bad taste, because it's what he learned to make film on. It was never actually meant to be a feature. He initially made it as like a business card. It was going to be something that he could just show to people, like a demo tape, to say like, look, I can direct things. I can make movies. So he can make Demon Machine? Yeah, so he can make Demon Machine, which I'm still fucking waiting for. 
I do think that it, it has the more humble beginnings. I, in a lot of ways, I do feel like Leif Yonker is Peter Jackson if he was born in 1969, Wichita, <laughs> Kansas. Instead, because it's like he, Leif Yonker never got the resources that Peter Jackson ended up getting. He never like he, but he still like did it. It's just that he made this one thing, and it kind of became infamous, and he never did anything else. Could you imagine uh, Yonker's Lord of the Rings though? See, oh my god! Right, right. What I want to see is Leif Yonker's version of Heavenly Creatures, which would be Peter Jackson making Heavenly Creatures is like if Leif Yonker made a movie based on the In Cold Blood murders. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's true. I want to see that. I don't know if Leif Yonker has that in him because also he's essentially darkness is Hesher Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, it's like. I mean, you said it. It's like heavy metal parking lot. Yeah, but it's scrappy. Yeah. It's yeah. it's fucking metal. Yes, some some really good practical kills, which is like the thing that you have to get right. Some, yeah, some yeah. really good. Yeah, I love when there's that hand that looks like it's just made out of hamburger that's reaching for the knife, and the, any chainsaw. Any chainsaws it. the hand, and, yeah. but it's like the shot of him chainsawing it is pretty long and pretty awkward just because you could tell he was like this rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So, okay. Now we're taking me to what I want to say about that character, Toby. Yeah. Played by, I think it's Gary Miller, the, the guy that did the effects too. Oh, really? Yeah. So that character, that performance isn't good. Right. But it's also perfect. But it's cool. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, you said the thing you said where, like at the very beginning of the movie, this is another movie where like a character, our protagonist accepts the new reality very quickly like the first scene he steals a dead cop's gun <laughs> and then and then steals a car right no he he goes off run the vampire steals the car oh okay right live right, in right. the vampire steals the car toby just goes off running for some reason right. but he steals two guns and it's just like it's like oh so this is society for him now like this is how and you said he, i feel like he was already had one foot out to begin with yeah he had one foot out the door he was ready for this contingency yeah and it's like so much of his behavior enforces that because in this situation when you have the elmo like the last man on earth types the crazy doomsday prepper types that are like i'm taking it upon myself to be a vampire hunter now they're gonna be scrawny dorks who talk like they think they're Stallone. Yeah. And they're gonna do crazy shit like chainsaw a dude's hand for no reason. Like, he just wanted to see what a chainsaw would do to a hand and like, now he has an excuse. Yeah. It was, would have been so easy to just disarm, no pun intended, disarm that vampire. <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, no. In like any other number of ways, yeah. but instead you just get a long sustained yeah. medium shot of the chainsaw just going full bore into the hand yeah the one of the other really cool practical effects was the like a lot of times when the vampires would get caught in the sun mm. and the weird like fleshy sacks oh, of yeah. blood that would yeah. grow and then burst yeah i was kind of impressed Dude, with that i that, was like that's a that's a good effect that long sequence of vampires melting in the sun near the end of the movie i want that i want yeah, to project yeah. that behind me when i play music i want God, that's fucking gorgeous I, it's yeah. so good it's like all blown out so there there's only like this orangey red and blue and like black and white it's like it looks all like warped and crazy and it's just gorgeously done yeah but again like the hamburger hand thing like he you can tell he was like this rules this sequence <laughs> is gonna be like a flat-out minute of this happening because we shot it and this is what i love yeah. by god we're I getting every it. drop of blood i put on the floor like on he's this repeating frame. shots yeah. like you're seeing it over and over again because he's just like yeah 
yes. Yeah. It's, the, it's the cum <laughs> shot of the movie. Yeah. There's a lot of that in the advertising for the movies. There's a bunch of different trailers that he definitely cut <laughs> that are just like the same shots over and over again. You know what else I, I what thing I really like that happens two or three times is men just screaming just like at not at oh anybody, my god yeah when like, he's covered in blood and he's just screaming yeah or like at when, the world when, or when his like mom at, like fries in the sun in front of him <laughs> his and mom and sister it, both yeah he just like you know they these men with like their fists clenched just like staring at the sky just like <laughs> yeah like great that's how I, I feel all the time i want more of yeah. that in in movies. I also really like the sequence where Jody gets taken in by Liven the vampire in the movie theater. Oh yeah. Which is there's something I might be crazy, but I think I have a queer read on that now. Like it's there's <laughs> there's it, it, a little interview with the vampire. There's something in there that's just where Jody's like, "What do you want? Yeah, what do you want?" Which, by the way, there's like no exposition in this movie no. ever. There's no None explication. It's all implication, no. and you have to do half the work yourself. Like the, when he throws the two liter. By the way, nice touch. A two liter bottle of holy water. Yes, like that's what I. That's what you do when you live in a trailer in park in Wichita, Kansas, and the vampire apocalypse descends upon right. you. You grab that pepsi bottle off your counter you dump it out and you go to the church right when he first throws it on somebody though it's like is that holy water or acid yeah. like yeah. i don't like we're we're having to figure out a lot on our own right now which i kind of love and i think because it is that, that commitment to that thing that dead alive does too where it's like shit i don't know where does the gag go next we're not stopping to talk yeah, yeah right sorry you were no well i was gonna say some of that i think maybe is to cover up inconsistencies uh, yeah. because of the budget <laughs> yeah but there were, were definitely instances where i understood something later on and I was impressed with the consistency yeah the economy right, of the reveal right. where it's like he's not the things like that where it feels sloppily done it's not done because he doesn't know like sometimes you watch a horror movie and there's stuff that doesn't make sense and you're like these people haven't even thought about their world like Leif Yonker knows what's happening I think he probably knows oh, he who knows. these characters are like he what could they probably want. seriously sit down and outline what's happening yes in like the five nearest towns while this right, is going on right. <laughs> like he, the problem is, is he doesn't really communicate enough of it for it to like not get frustrating sometimes. But it does. It, it has does an lend to the logic. immediacy of it yeah. too. I think. Yeah, yeah. The inter internal logic you can recognize is there, but it's also like I don't feel talked down to. No. Yeah. But the, yeah, so the when Liven and Jody have their moment in the movie theater, it feels kind of like it's like he's gay. like he's like just say it, you know, just yeah. tell me what you want. Yeah, tell me what you want, <laughs> I'll give it to you, you know. And then it cuts away before Liven can answer. And then when the next time we see Jody, Liven is gone. We don't see Liven again. I don't think. Do we not see him at the until end? the oh. end? Oh, yeah. until he the, yeah. gets out of the grave at the very yeah, end. Yeah, right, right. But Jody comes back in Liven's place, and Jody's like, his wound is infected. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Which no other vampire wounds are infected, so I feel like Jody's is special. Yeah, right. It's also just something I you don't see in horror yeah. movies oh, a lot. Great. And the idea of yeah. a vampire's wound getting infected as like it's like why haven't I seen that before? Yeah, it's like it you're, you're providing cool, a pathology, and it's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of to me the way that Lionel's mother Vera in Dead Alive, you see the different stages of her decay, right. but even her mental decay, it's like oh yeah, there's a pathology at work here. Yeah. You've thought about this. Yeah, you're not just slinging a bunch of tropes at me. So like to see that infected wound is great, but also Jody is like into it, dude. He. I 
I think was my favorite performance of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like that kid had a fucking acting career yeah. ahead of him yeah. if he had just yeah. done it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, well, and that scene too with him and Liven has that like little Argento flourish to it. That like, was it super feels cool. Very yeah. Argento. That yeah. scene was very stylish with yeah. like the weird like lit panel. This was totally by accident because Dave, you're right. They didn't have any of their own lighting. No, they did. But <laughs> the no theater budget. that they were shooting in had these like weird wall panels with I couldn't tell if the light that was like the up lights that were bouncing off of them mm-hmm. were colored or if the panels themselves yeah, were colored yeah. but it gave these weird gradients of soft warm mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. almost blue or purple lights in the theater yeah, for that yeah. scene and I wonder if maybe that's why he chose that setting or part of why he chose that specific yeah, setting it's is because the lighting was already set up it like would a, definitely he would have to have practical concerns I always kind of read it as like a reference to Bava's demons with the okay. stuff that takes place in the, the movie takes place in a movie theater but I'm also an asshole I mean so, I'm, I'm a sucker for scenes or sequences in movies that take place in theaters mm-hmm. and oh, bonus points if yeah. someone's watching a movie yeah. in the theater mm-hmm. while it's happening mm-hmm. I don't know why but I think it's funny when movies pat themselves on the mm-hmm. back like that. You yeah, know? I like, yeah, I like yeah. that too. And though there aren't, I don't know if the references aren't as clear in Darkness as they are in Dead Alive because maybe Yonker's not as big a nerd as Jackson is or if, I don't know. But there's definitely references. Like you can see right. Phantasms in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the characters' names, Toby and Jody, are characters from Phantasm. But also like in addition to the fact that it took them two years to make <laughs> with shooting on weekends, there's that idea of this small group of survivors as this tall black clad evil man kind of starts wiping out towns right and them being the only ones that can stop him there's that in phantasm there's like some of the crazies and yeah. shivers Feels at a bit work. Like the stand yeah there's this the stand there's some children of the corn mm-hmm. kind of stuff and some obvious evil dead stuff too because well that was the other thing is that yonker was inspired to do this because of what happened with within the woods and evil dead how within the woods like got funds for evil dead so mm-hmm. he was like well if mm-hmm. i do that that with this I can make darkness the professional version yeah right right <laughs> like and it's just funny because this was always intended to be like a demo tape or a business card but he never he got carried away with it yeah it, it's kind of like at one point he was planning a darkness trilogy with the sequel darkness vampire ferox and darkness vampire apocalypse and I don't know where demon machine falls in <laughs> with any of this is it part of the greater expanded Yonkerverse? Or is God it its own damn it. I want a Yonk- is it its own standalone You know what? Story? We need a Yonkerverse. Get rid of this Conjureverse bullshit already. I want a Yonkerverse. I want. Honestly, I would be down for more darkness movies. I mean, I know that in this day and age, it would be foolish to expect the same quality or even like type of <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah. But either way, I still think it would be very awesome to have more darkness movies directed by Yonker. I'll yeah. say that. Yeah, I'd like um, to see what else he has in him for and sure. And honestly, I'm kind of interested to see what is what he could do with a bigger budget. I mean, yeah. you know, I yeah. don't, you know, you don't need to necessarily give him like $300 million, but maybe you know, three million dollars. Three million. Yeah, yeah, give him the budget of Dead Alive. Right. Three million. Dead Alive. Dead Alive was shot for three million. Give that to him, which is insane. Yeah, because Darkness cost five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, that yeah. seems even like that seems not even enough for what we saw on screen. Yeah, I yeah. know, right? It's, which is which is. I mean, I guess that's just what you do when you ask a bunch of your friends to do stuff yeah. for free. You yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, how much of that is just like developing the film? Yeah, I don't it's know. Like, like, you know, that's most be the of, bulk it. of it. <laughs> yeah, post for that movie must have been. Yeah, most. Of well, the again, that's why you shoot on Super Eight, and right. like that was the thing too. Was he did it because he got a deal? 
on Super 8 film because the army was transitioning to video. So they were like, he had some connection. So they were just and they were dumping, just dumping off yeah. all their Super 8 film. Wow. What do you guys, how do you feel about it as a double feature? I liked it only because I had never seen Darkness before. And when watching a double feature, it's my preference if I've seen one of the movies to have mm-hmm. that one play first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. I mean, it's fine. It's all arbitrary, yeah, right, Andy? Yeah, like none of this it's matters. Like, it's fine. None of this matters. Um, and it, it was totally okay. And I think it helped me see the connection by watching Darkness second. Yeah. You it, know, like it, there, there, there was more of a through line mm-hmm. in, in my mind in the yeah, order still, they were in. I still feel like maybe I didnn't nail it. I, as much I feel as like I thought I did. Darkness and Bad Taste would be a really good pairing. And yeah. I, I was trying to think of like, while watching Dead Alive and being like, having that teenager reaction of like, I love this. I want more of this. Yeah. I was like, what would you pair with this? Like what, I, I guess like Evil Dead is like an obvious sort of, or anything from Raimi is like mm-hmm. an obvious sort of pairing. But what is like a lesser known movie that aims for that kind of screwball tone and really nails it they're really kind of few and far between they really are because there's which is like a shame yeah because i still feel like it's a natural fit like comedy and horror i, I guess return of the living dead is a another one but yeah that, that yeah. has more like that has a different attitude i mean what dead alive has a very sort of sweet a sweetness that it's sort of pulling I, the rug out from under i think you can almost pair return of the living dead with darkness and that would also ah, be yeah that I think would so be a too. really good pairing i think so yeah. too because this is yeah again darkness is a vampire movie that's it basically is playing in all the tropes that we've come to recognize as zombie apocalypse. So it's basically a zombie movie, but with vampires. It would be interesting to pair it with Near Dark. I mean, <laughs> the titles alone is. Oh worth, yeah, Near but, Dark, and then then Darkness has to be second. But you right. still you still have like redneck vampires. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Because Dead Alive is such it's so known and is such a formative movie for I think so many horror fans mm-hmm. that it's hard to think of what else you could really do like a double feature that sort of sustains that sort of tone and. Yeah. yeah it's hard to because i think about like maybe dead next door which is another regional horror you know micro budget just people making something to make it and it's about zombies and it's very ambitious but i also feel like that might pair better with darkness right than yeah. with dead alive i it's, maybe feeders which one <laughs> feeders i don't know if i've seen feeders zero budget okay uh, bizarre, <laughs> bizarro alien thing but uh it's it's well fun. i want to see it already yeah you should so i i, I don't know i just i, 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 I was I, like i made the splatter film connection and yeah. was like let's roll the dice on that yeah w- what was nice about seeing it as a double feature is just that I feel like Dead Alive prepared me to watch Darkness in a different way than I would have otherwise because even just putting it in sort of the same conversation as that movie really like I was coming off of Dead Alive being like holy shit like Peter Jackson was such just a craftsman yeah and then I was prepped to see that. I wouldn't have necessarily been looking for it, yeah. but it is like, I'm still thinking of specific shots from Darkness yeah. that are just cool. Yeah. They're cool. Like when that one person just like impaled on like on a the, stump. On like this tree stump. Yeah. yeah I still love that. It's I still great. look at that and I'm like, man, that is Fulci. That is exploitation. Yeah. That's Jodorowsky almost. Like and they're both nerds. They're yeah. both nerds in a way of going the other way. Like, okay, what would I pair Darkness with in terms of a film that's known by a known director it's like well who would he be looking up to or who yeah. what's, what is his I no because he's looking up to everyone who we were saying but Italian guys and stuff like that but like who's a similar nerd and I think Jackson makes sense 
Yeah. Uh, as and they're big like beardy guys who Yeah, they're uh, both big beardy seem guys. Like they, yeah. They're probably really friendly and can get a lot of people to be in their movies for free. Yeah. Yeah. I think the mentality behind making each movie was more similar than we yeah. think. Yeah. And that's and that is why yeah. I think it was it was a good pairing. Because yeah. you weren't approaching it from necessarily a subjective or thematic view. You know, it was just kind of like, well, I, I think that yeah. there's these are two directors who made very specific <laughs> movies that catered yeah. to their taste that were informed very heavily by other horror things of the past. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Dead Alive we had a three million budget and then its worldwide gross was like two hundred, three hundred thousand. Like it's like nothing. But in New Zealand it was oh, like it out the, yeah it outplayed batman returns i think yeah, right was the, yeah it was like a huge cultural thing and i think similarly like leaf yonker clearly had a finger on the pulse of what these fucking teenagers in oh, you know kansas i mean wanted like ultimately he's, he's really speaking the language yeah. of those like it feels like a movie that's four teens almost by teens yeah ultimately it does come down to this thing where i think that like if i had been because i grew up in at the time it, the darkness came out i was living in iowa so if i had been because i didn't see darkness until it was re-released on dvd in 2006 it's one of those things that i i never saw it in a video store so i never rented it and i would occasionally hear about it but then when i saw it it was like ah oh, shit if i had seen that when i was 13 years old living in iowa Oh, man. Are you kidding me? Like, I probably would have gone out and made some movies. Yeah. (laughs) It would have been, it would have filled me with that. There's something very punk rock in its ethos, and I don't mean punk rock in like a fuck the man. Yeah. You know, or even aesthetically, even though they are all dressed like punks (laughs) in the movie. But what I mean by that is that there's something about it where it's like hearing like Minor Threat for the first time or Black Flag where you hear it and you're like, I can, I can make this. this. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the I can DIY do this thing. with my yeah. own yeah. friends. The, I don't need permission. I can just yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's. I think that's something that Jackson and Yonker I mean, have in common. Yeah, I mean, I mean Jackson, Jackson quite literally did it. Yeah, he yeah made that's the biggest what he did. trilogy of all time. Yeah, yeah. he's like he's DIY filmmaking made good. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ultimately, I feel inspired, which is nice. <laughs> Good. It's a nice thing to come out of watching two horror movies and feel inspired to reach for that dream, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Because, yeah. like, even though Leif Yonker never followed it up yet, yet. He, yet. If, you know, we'll see. You can. know, Arrow is putting out a special edition Blu-ray of Darkness next year. Maybe that will get people to call him. <laughs> but it's like watching it. You're like, but he still did it. He made a yeah. fucking movie. We're talking about it. We got things out of it. You've watched it how many times? I think five. Yeah. So six, like, maybe? <laughs> you know, that's something we can all aspire to. Yeah. To make something that someone wants to. Yeah. It, and it, honestly, watch I, five I, times or listen to experience multiple times. Yeah. I, I definitely want to see. I might pick up that Blu-ray when it comes out because I want to. I want to see this again. I want to yeah. like sit with it for a minute and yeah. like process it. But I, I do like, I could definitely see myself rewatching this and like getting something else out of it again. Yeah. I think another thing too is like knowing that you two were the right people to show this to because I love this kind of stuff. I love the like the small backyard movies. I like yeah. the stuff that people made with no money and a bunch of friends and by calling in some favors. I love this. I love Equinox. I love Dead Next Door, Blood Hook. Blood Beat. There's just tons of these movies that are like this that are starting to get rediscovered right. because of people like Arrow and Severin and Vinegar Syndrome. You Sledgehammer. Know, who have you? Sle- oh my God, dude. Sledgehammer. I'm waiting for the day that somebody gives me whatever magical title they think of that makes me go, oh, Sledgehammer. Because Sledgehammer is fucking wild. Yeah, it's wild. 
but I love this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, it's always like sometimes you even genre fans I'll show stuff like this too, and they'll be like, eh. That's I get it, but right. <laughs> I don't know why you like it so much. So it's like nice to show it to people. It's the other thing too is that you two are my punk rock friends. <laughs> oh, so yeah. I Thank thought you. I'll show you guys the punk rock movie. Well, you know that we have a uh, tolerance for like masochistically like, <laughs> um, yeah. subjecting ourselves to media to try to like pull whatever pearls of understanding yeah. of uh, the larger world out of that we can. Yeah, there's like I mean I love this shit. Too. We obviously we we love bad movies too because I think bad movies are sometimes more honest and more illustrative yes. than a, a good movie. Yeah, like I n- feel like I know where Leaf Yonker's coming from. I, I know <laughs> yeah. things. I, <laughs> no, I totally. know yes. things yes. about him and where he's coming from. Like I was watching it, being like, if I were to make a splatter movie out of my surroundings, what would that even look like? Yeah. And it's cool. It's, it's just a cool frame of reference to be able to tap into. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. All right. Good job, Andy. Thanks. <laughs> I'm the best. Miles. Hey, good, good podcast, man. <laughs> good podcasting, everybody. This was great. Yeah. I, this is really, really fun. Thank you. And I highly recommend anyone see Darkness if they can track a copy, any yeah. version of it, really. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't the, know. The, the, the vampire, vampire version, version, the red, the the red version, cut, yeah. the zombie version. The, yeah. um, but it is uh, going with an open mind, and you'll be very surprised, I yeah. think. Thanks for watching these movies with me. Yeah, I'm glad we did it. Yeah, and, me uh, too. That, this is great. Yeah, and I'll do it anytime. listening to us jabber on about bullshit, come listen to our podcast. It's called Heat Seeking Panther, and we're going through every single Nicolas Cage movie and I mean every piece of media that he has appeared in like we even watched the Saturday Night Live episode that he was in in the 90s golly Um, yeah it's <laughs> but you know we're being completists with it and if well that's important if you want to dive into the filmography of a performer who I think is peerless I think he has done performances unlike anybody else. Some of them are genuinely amazing. Some of them are very bad, but it's always him. And I think we've been trying to think of somebody else that we could have done this podcast about that didn't feel like we were piggybacking on a meme or something. And it's just like, it's just not possible because there really is so much to say about Cage that you can't say about anybody else in Hollywood. He's a shooting star. So uh, yeah, listen to us. Yeah, I, I highly recommend you listening to Heat Seeking Panther. Uh, and again, if you want to uh, listen to one of our most popular episodes oh, hey. and hear Andy's voice again, uh, check out our Wicker Man episode. Oh, hey. Well, yeah, the next go one we're going to do is called Pay the Ghost. Pay the Ghost. Well, yeah, we're in the real hinterlands. Of, do you know uh, when you're putting that out? I don't. Nah. Okay. We, no. we operate on no schedule. It might yeah. be out now. It might be out soon. Right. And if not... Nicholas Cage has made a million movies, so there will, <laughs> we'll have a new episode up. Yeah. Yeah, Whenever this drops, yeah. you can go to our page and check whatever bonkers movie we're going to cover. We're never going to stop. He's, <laughs> he's releasing like 10 a year. So, All right. Let's see if we can get Leif Yonker to work with Nicholas Cage. Yes. Uh, yes. I would love he hashtag, he, hashtag he, Yonker. Cage loves Cage. working with amateur directors. So yeah. honestly, if Yonker, if you're listening, just call him. He's waiting. He'll by do the it. Phone. He'll He's... do it. Demon Machine starring Nicolas Cage. Yes. I'm fucking there. Opening night. I'm there front row. The whole front. I've bought every ticket yeah. to the front row. It's all mine. You and a bunch of teenagers. Yeah, me and me and everyone, the entire cast of Darkness. Yeah. All right. Cool. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry.